Hello, listeners, and welcome to Monsters Advocate. Monsters Advocate is a weekly podcast focused around the unsung heroes of myths and legends, the monsters. We'll take a look at some of the monster-centric myths and legends, some not-so-ancient cryptids, and everything in between, and try to sort out possible origin species, biological impetus for why they do what they do, and why we love to hear about them. So, this week I thought we'd break away from the somewhat single-species approach and try to look at a broader category of monster. Specifically, those monsters that survive by practicing hematophagy, or feeding on blood. Now, blood-sucking in the animal kingdom is much more common than you think. And it's easy to see why. Blood is full of proteins and lipids, which every animal needs. And like a cup of sugar, it's much easier to borrow from someone else than to make yourself. Birds do it. Bats do it. Even tiny little moths do it. In a very broad sense, it's not dissimilar to a deer feeding off of a tree. See, the tree makes sugars and other compounds using its chlorophyll, and the deer eats the tree's leaves to steal these for its own use. It probably won't eat the whole tree in one sitting, just like how hematophages generally don't kill their hosts when taking a blood meal. Generally. An exception, of course, is our first guest and Central and South America's sweetheart, give it up for the chupacabra. The chupacabra is typically described a whole lot of different ways. It can be small or large, Spines or no spines, reptilian with glowing red eyes, but for our intents and purposes, let's go with Wikipedia's description. The chupacabra is a heavy creature the size of a small bear, with leathery or scaly greenish-gray skin, and a row of spines reaching from the neck to the base of the tail, and it moves by hopping like a kangaroo. So, kind of like Stitch's terrifying cousin. It gets its name, which literally translates to goat sucker, from, you guessed it, sucking goats, and other livestock, and draining them of blood, which usually kills them. Now, the chupacabra was first officially reported in Puerto Rico in 1995, after an attack where eight sheep were left dead, each with three puncture wounds to the chest and all completely drained of blood. That year, more than 200 reports of chupacabra sightings and attacks were made in Puerto Rico alone. Since then, reports of chupacabra sightings have been reported as far away as Maine in the Americas, and in 2006, the chupacabra was spotted in Russia, with reports of dozens of animals being found bloodless with strange incisions. But don't worry, Russian listeners, because if this animal is a native of South America, even if one did get loose up there in 2006, it is probably very dead after that first winter. Unlike those Siberian vampire moths you've got up there, Sorry about that, that's kind of a bummer. Uh, Also, I wonder if smuggling chupacabras goes under illegal wildlife trade. It probably should. While unusual in the sheer volumes of its victims, the chupacabra is certainly in good company biologically. South and Central America are home to two species of birds that suck blood for fun, and three species of bats that are obligate hematophages. And maybe a species of giant, flying, shape-shifting, hypnotic snake. Who's to say, really? The two birds are the hood mockingbird and the vampire finch. The hood mockingbird is an omnivorous opportunist native to the Española island in the Galapagos Islands of Ecuador. They eat eggs, other birds' kills, and sometimes drink the blood of wounded seabirds. The species is also apparently highly territorial, aggressive, and has no fear of humans. There have even been reports of the birds chasing tourists for food and water, and pecking tourists' water bottles open for a drink. So, 
maybe avoid having any exposed skin while you're visiting. The vampire finch, by contrast, is much less aggressive, but much more committed to the bit. Vampire finches inhabit Wolf Island in the Galapagos, which is barely an island at all, consisting mostly of lava formations and mangroves. While this bird still eats seeds and grubs, resources are very limited on this island. So, the bird found another way. To feed, the vampire finch will simply hop onto a larger seabird, like the blue-footed booby, peck away all their feathers until they've made an opening, and go to town. During the dry months, these birds will apparently even line up to feed on the same bird. The strangest part of the ordeal? The host birds just... let them drink their blood, totally chill. Some scientists think this is because the birds used to pick ticks off of larger birds and have just relatively recently decided to take things to the next level. Which is kind of creepy. It's kind of like if your hairdresser accidentally nicked you during a haircut and just... help themselves to a little blood. Why not? I won't go over vampire bats as much as they have been pretty well studied, but the three species are the common vampire bat, the hairy-legged vampire bat, and the white-winged vampire bat. These three species occur throughout Central and South America. In addition to blood-sucking, here are three cool vampire bat facts that you might not have known. They can walk, jump, or even run on land using their forelimbs, which is incredible because most bats can barely crawl on land. They use infrared radiation to detect blood hotspots on their prey, which, again, may not seem like much, but the only other vertebrates capable of detecting infrared radiation are boas, pythons, and pit vipers, which have specialized pit organs that the vampire bat does not. And lastly, apparently they're really good at sharing. Vampire bats can only go two days without a blood meal, so when a bat fails to find food, it will often beg another colony mate for food. Interestingly, this happens among both related and non-related individuals, and the donor bat may even approach the starving bat first suggesting that reciprocal, cooperative relationships may be more important to these bats than relatedness. How about that gigantic, shape-shifting, hypnotizing, flying snake, though? Well, in southern Chile, the mythology of the Mapuche and Chilot, there lives a creature called the Puchin. The Puchin is often described as a gigantic flying snake, which produces strange whistling sounds as it flies. Its gaze is apparently hypnotic, similar to a basilisk, and it uses this hypnotism to paralyze its victims so it can feed on their blood. Like the chupacabra, it has been reported as responsible for a number of sheep deaths. Though, being a snake, why it didn't just swallow the sheep whole is beyond me. It can also shapeshift, though, again, why wouldn't you just stay as a gigantic flying hypnotic snake? Interestingly, there are species of flying snakes, but they only occur in western India and the Indonesian archipelago. I wish I knew more about these creatures because they sound fantastic. So anyone who knows more, please feel free to message me on Patreon or email me at monstersadvocatepodcast at gmail. Now, why let animals have all the fun? After all, there are many species of carnivorous plants. Our last bloodsucker is another one from Japanese mythology, although it's a little newer than our friend the Inugami. The Jibuko is... a tree. Seemingly any species is fine. The only stipulation is that the tree is growing on a former battlefield. The idea is that the tree has grown up its whole life drinking the blood of the dead, which turns it into a yokai, which is a class of spirits, monsters, and demons in Japanese mythology. If you're playing the game Yokai Watch currently, it's that class of spirits. But I don't think this one will be making the cut for the game anytime soon. Because 
When the tree is drunk enough blood to become a supernatural being, what's its next move? Find more blood, apparently. When a human passes close enough, wham, the jibuko catches the human up in its branches and hoists it up into the air. Then, the end of its branches turn into tubes, and whoop, out goes all the blood. So like the Whomping Willow in Harry Potter, but much hungrier. Apparently, all this blood-sucking makes these trees look particularly beautiful, which is one of their tells. Another one? If you cut into the tree, blood trickles out. Which seems kind of ridiculous, but there are several species of trees, such as the dragon's blood tree, which do secrete a red resin that is in fact not entirely unlike blood. The jibuko's branches can also heal an injured or sick person, though I don't know how you're supposed to go get that, because that's the danger end and trees don't need to sleep. Side note, I couldn't find a real-life macroscopic plant that parasitizes animals for their blood, but I did find several sites on the benefits of watering plants with human blood. While creative, I wouldn't advise doing this, because the risk of your blood leaching into the groundwater of the area and contaminating drinking water is pretty high. If you really must satisfy your begonia's bloodlust, I would suggest using blood meal, which comes in a powder and is not from humans. You can even add water to make it liquid again, if that's your thing. So that is going to do it this week for hematophages. I know there are a ton more, so I may come back to them at a later date. If you're curious about any of these stories, check the show notes to find out more. Intro music is by Scott Ethington, and audio editing is by Alex Sauerbrunn. Also, we have an email now, monstersadvocatepodcast at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions for topics, cool info about past monsters, or if there's anything you'd like to hear more about, then please write to it and let me know. If you like what you heard, please rate and review on iTunes, or consider donating to our Patreon. Every little bit helps, and more support means I'm more motivated to do the best job I can to bring you more monsters. Thank you for listening, and remember, anyone can be a monster. <laughs>